0: Chapter Ten, Part One of My Life on the Plains. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The winter of 1867 through 68 was a period of comparative idleness and quiet, so far as the troops guarding the military posts on the plains and frontier were concerned. The Indians began their periodical depredations against the frontier settlers and overland immigrants and travelers early in the spring of eighteen sixty eight and continued them with but little interruption or hindrance from any quarter until late in the summer and fall of that year general sully an officer of considerable reputation as an indian fighter was placed in command of the district of the upper arkansas which embraced the kansas frontier and those military posts on the central plains most intimately connected with the hostile tribes General Sully concentrated a portion of the troops of his command consisting of detachments of the 7th and 10th Cavalry and 3rd Infantry at points on the Arkansas River and set on foot various scouting expeditions, but all to no purpose. The Indians continued as usual, not only to elude the military forces directed at them, but to keep up their depredations upon the settlers of the frontier great excitement existed along the border settlements of kansas and colorado the frequent massacres of the frontiersmen and utter destruction of their homes created a very bitter feeling on the part of the citizens of kansas towards the savages and from the governor of the state down to its humblest citizen appeals were made to the authorities of the general government to give protection against the indians or else allow the people to take the matter into their own hands and pursue retaliatory measures against the hereditary enemies general sheridan then in command of that military department with headquarters at fort leavenworth kansas were fully alive to the responsibilities of his position and in his usual effective manner set about organizing victory as pretended but not disinterested friends of the Indians frequently acquit the latter of committing unprovoked attacks on helpless settlers and others who have never in the slightest degree injured them, and often deny even that the Indians have been guilty of any hostile acts which justify the adoption of military measures to ensure the protection and safety of our frontier settlements, The following tabular statement is here given. This statement is taken from official records on file at the Headquarters Military Division of the Missouri and, as it states, gives only those murders and other depredations which were officially reported and the white people mentioned as killed are exclusive of those slain in warfare. I am particular in giving time, place, etc. of each occurrence, so that those who hitherto have been believed that the Indians were a creature who could do no wrong may have ample opportunity to judge of the correctness of my statements. Many other murders by the Indians during this period no doubt occurred, but occurring as they did over a wide and sparsely settled tract of country, were never reported to the military authorities the mass of troops being concentrated and employed along the branches of the upper arkansas by general sully thus leaving the valleys of the republican solomon and smoky hill rivers comparatively without troops and the valleys of the upper republican being as we have in previous chapters learned a favorite resort and camping ground for the hostile tribes of the upper plains general sherman determined that while devoting full attention to the kiowas comanches apaches arapahoes and southern cheyennes to be found south of the arkansas he would also keep an eye out for the sioux upper cheyennes and arapahoes and the dog soldiers usually infesting the valley of the upper republican and solomon rivers the dog soldiers were a band of warriors principally composed of cheyennes but made up of turbulent and uncontrollable spirits of all the tribes neither they nor their leaders had ever consented to the ratification of any of the treaties to which their brothers of the other tribes had agreed never satisfied except when at war with the white man they were by far the most troublesome daring and warlike band to be found on the plains Their warriors were all fine-looking braves of magnificent physique, and in appearance and demeanor more nearly conformed to the ideal warrior than those of any other tribe. How they came by their name, the Dog Soldiers, I never was able to learn satisfactorily. One explanation is that they are principally members of the Cheyenne tribe, and were at first known as the Cheyenne Soldiers. The name of the tribe Cheyenne was originally Cheyenne, the French word for dog, hence the term Dog Soldiers. To operate effectually against these bands, General Sheridan was without the necessary troops. Congress, however, had authorized the employment of detachments of frontier scouts to be recruited from among the daring spirits always to be met with on the border. It was upon a force raised from this class of our western population that General Sheridan relied for material assistance. Having decided to employ frontiersmen to assist in punishing the Indians, the next question was the selection of a suitable leader. The choice most fortunately fell upon General George A. Forsyth Sandy, then Acting Inspector General of the Department of Missouri who, eager to render his country an important service, and not loath to share in the danger and excitement attended upon such an enterprise, set himself energetically to work and raise the equipment for his command in the field. But little time was required under Forsythe's stirring zeal to raise the required number of men. It was wisely decided to limit the number of frontiersmen to fifty, this enabled foresight to choose only good men and the size of the attachment considering that they were to move without ordinary transportation in fact were to almost adopt the indian style of warfare was as large as could be without being cumbersome last but not least it was to be composed of men who from their leader down were intent on accomplishing an important purpose They were not out of any holiday tour or pleasure excursion. Their object was to find Indians, a difficult matter for a large force to accomplish, because the Indians are the first to discover their presence and take themselves out of the way, whereas with a small or moderate-sized detachment there is some chance, as Forsyth afterwards learned, of finding Indians. Among all officers of the Army, old or young, no one could have been found better adapted to becoming the leader of an independent expedition such as this was proposed to be, than General Forsyth. This is more particularly true, considering the experiences which awaited this detachment. I had learned to know him very well when we rode together in the Shenandoah Valley, sometimes in one direction and sometimes but rarely in the other and afterwards in the closing struggle around petersburg and richmond when his chief had been told to press things general Forsyth sandy as his comrades familiarly termed him was an important member of the press in fact one of the best terms to describe him by is irrepressible for no matter how defeat or disaster might stare us in the face and as i have intimated caused us to ride the other way sandy always contrived to be of good cheer and to be able to see things coming of a better day this quality came into good play in the terrible encounter which i am about to describe the frontiersmen of the kansas border stirred up by numerous massacres committed in their midst by the savages were only too eager and willing to join in an enterprise which promised to afford them the opportunity to visit just punishment upon their enemies. Thirty selected men were procured at Fort Harker, Kansas, and twenty more at Fort Hays, sixty miles further west. In four days the command was armed, mounted, and equipped, and at once took the field lieutenant f h beecher of the third regular infantry a nephew of the distinguished divine of the same name and one of the ablest and best young officers on the frontier was second in command and a surgeon was found in the person of dr john s movers of hayes city in kansas a most competent man in his profession and one who had a large experience during the war of the rebellion as a surgeon of one of the volunteer regiments from the state of new york sharp grover one of the best guides and scouts the plains afforded was the guide of the expedition while many of the men had at different times served in the regular and volunteer forces for example the man selected to perform the duties of first sergeant of the detachment was brevet brigadier general w h h mccall united states volunteers who commanded a brigade at the time of the confederate forces attempted to break the federal lines at fort hell in front of petersburg in the early spring of eighteen sixty five and was breveted for gallantry on that occasion as a general thing the men composing the party were just the class eminently qualified to encounter the dangers which were soon to confront them they were brave active hardy and energetic AND WHILE THEY REQUIRED A TIGHT rein HELD OVER THEM, WHEN THEY WERE PROPERLY HANDLED, CAPABLE OF ACCOMPLISHING ABOUT ALL THAT ANY EQUAL NUMBER OF MEN COULD DO UNDER THE SAME CIRCUMSTANCES. THE PARTY LEFT FORT HAYES ON THE twenty-ninth DAY OF AUGUST 1868, AND UNDER SPECIAL INSTRUCTION FROM MAJOR GENERAL SHERIDAN, COMMANDING THE DEPARTMENT, TOOK A NORTHWESTERLY COURSE, SCOUTING THE COUNTRY TO THE NORTH OF THE SALINE RIVER crossing the south fork of the solomon bow creek north fork of the solomon prairie dog creek and then well out toward the republican river and swinging around in the direction of fort wallace made that post on the eighth day from their departure nothing was met with notice but there were frequent indications of large camps of indians which had evidently been abandoned only a few days or weeks before the arrival of the command Upon arriving at Fort Wallace, General Forsyth communicated with General Sheridan and proceeded to refit his command. On the morning of September 10th, a war party, small Indians, attacked a train near Sheridan. A small railroad town some eighty miles beyond Fort Wallace killed two Teamsters and ran off a few cattle. As soon as the information of this reached Fort Wallace Forsyth started his command for the town of Sheridan where he took the trail of the indians and followed it until dark the next morning it was resumed till the indians finding themselves closely pursued scattered in many directions and the trail became so obscure as to be lost determined however to find the indians this time if they were in the country he pushed on to short nose creek hoping to find them in that vicinity carefully scouting in every direction for the trail and still heading north as far as the republican river the command finally struck the trail of a small war party on the south bank of that stream and followed it up to the forks of that river this is familiar ground perhaps to some of my readers as it was here pawnee killer and his band attacked our camp early one morning in the summer of sixty seven and hurried me from my tent without attending me time to attend to my toilet. Continuing on the trail and crossing to the north bank, Forsyte found the trail growing consistently larger, as various smaller ones entered it from the south and north, and finally it developed into a broad and well-beaten road, along which large droves of cattle and horses had been driven. This trail led up to the Arikichi Fork of the Republican River, and consistent indications of indians in the way of moccasins jerked buffalo meat and other articles were found every few miles but no indians were seen on the evening of the eighth day from fort wallace the command halted about five o'clock in the afternoon and went into camp at or near the little island in the river a mere sand spit of earth formed by the stream dividing as a little rift of earth that was rather more gravelly than the sand in its immediate vicinity and coming together again about a hundred yards further down the stream which just here was about eight feet wide and two and three inches deep the watercourses in this part of the country in the dry season are mere threads of water meandering along the broad sandy bed of the river which during the months of may and june is generally full to its banks and that time capable of floating an ordinary ship while later in the season there is not enough water to float the smallest rowboat. In fact in many places the stream sinks into the sand and disappears for a considerable distance finally making its way up to the surface and flowing on again until it disappears and reappears many times in the course of a long day's journey encamping upon the bank of the stream at this point which at that time was supposed by the party to be delaware creek but which was afterwards discovered to be a ricochet fork of the republican river the command made the usual preparations for passing the night this point was but a few marches from the scene of kidder's massacre having already been out from fort wallace eight days and not taking any wagons with them Their supplies began to run low, although they had been husbanded with great care. During the last three days game had been very scarce, which fact convinced Forsyth and his party that the Indians whose trail they had been following had scourged the land and country and driven off every kind of game by their hunting parties. The following day would see the command out of supplies of all kinds, But feeling assured that he was within striking distance of the Indians, Forsyth determined to push on until he found them and fight them, even if he could not whip them, in order that they might realize that their rendezvous was discovered and that the government was at last in earnest when it said that they were to be punished for their depredations on the settlements. After posting their pickets and partaking of the plainest suppers, FORTHSIGHT'S LITTLE PARTY DISPOSED OF THEMSELVES ON THE GROUND TO SLEEP, LITTLE DREAMING WHO WAS TO SOUND THEIR reveille IN SO UNCEREMONIOUS A MANNER. AT DAWN ON THE FOLLOWING DAY, SEPTEMBER 17, 1868, A GUARD GAVE THE ALARM, INDIANS! INSTANTLY EVERY MAN SPRANG TO HIS FEET, AND WITH THE TRUE INSTINCT OF THE FRONTIERSMAN GRABBED HIS RIFLE WITH ONE HAND, WHILE WITH THE OTHER HE SEIZED HIS LARIAT that the Indians might not stampede the horses. Six Indians dashed up towards the party, rattling bells, shaking buffalo robes, and firing their guns. The four pack-mules belonging to the party broke away and were last seen galloping over the hills. Three other animals made their escape, as they had only been hobbled in direct violation of the orders which directed that all animals of the command should be regularly picketed to a stake Or picket-pinned firmly into the ground. A few shots caused the Indians to shear off and disappear in a gallop over the hills. Several of the men started in pursuit but were instantly ordered to rejoin the command, which was ordered to saddle up with all possible haste. Forsyth feeling satisfied that the attempt to stampede the stock was but the prelude to a general and more determined attack scarcely were the saddles thrown on the horses and the girths tightened when grover the guide placing his hand on forsyth's shoulder gave vent to his astonishment as follows o heavens general look at the indians well might he be excited from every direction they dashed towards the band over the hills from the west and the north along the river on the opposite bank everywhere and in every direction they made their appearance finally mounted in full war paint their long scalp-lock braided with eagle feathers and with all the paraphernalia of a barbarous war-party with wild whoops and exultant shouts on they came there was but one thing to do realizing that they had fallen into a trap forsythe who had faced danger too often to hesitate in an emergency determined that if he came to a fort fetterman affair described in a preceding chapter, he should at least make the enemy bear their share of the loss. He ordered his men to lead their horses to the island, tie them to the few bushes that were growing there in a circle, throw themselves upon the ground in the same form, and make the best fight they could for their lives. In less time than it takes to pen these words, the order was put into execution three of the best shots in the party took position in the grass under the bank of the river which covered the north end of the island the others formed in a circle inside of the line of animals and throwing themselves upon the ground began to reply to the fire of which the indians which soon became hot and galling in the extreme throwing themselves from their horses the indians crawled up to within a short distance of the island and opened a steady and well-directed fire upon the party armed with the best quality of guns many of them having the latest pattern breech loaders with fixed ammunition as proof of this many thousand empty shells of spencer and henry rifle ammunition were found on the ground occupied by the indians after the fight they soon made sad havoc among the men and horses as it grew lighter and the indians could be distinguished grover expressed the greatest astonishment at the number of warriors which he placed at nearly one thousand other members of the party estimated them at an even greater number foresight expressed the opinion that there could be not more than four or five hundred but in this it seems he was mistaken and some of the brules sioux and cheyennes have since told him that their war party was nearly nine hundred strong and was comprised of brules sioux cheyennes and dog soldiers furthermore that they had been watching him for five days previous to their attack and had called in all the warriors they could get to their assistance the men of foresight's party began covering themselves at once by using case and pocket knives in the gravelly sand and soon had thrown up quite a little earthwork consisting of detached mounds in the form of a circle ABOUT THIS TIME Forsyth WAS WOUNDED BY A miniball, ball WHICH, STRIKING HIM IN THE RIGHT THIGH, RAGED UPWARDS, INFLICTING AN EXCEEDINGLY PAINFUL WOUND. TWO OF HIS MEN HAD BEEN KILLED, AND A NUMBER OF OTHERS WOUNDED. LEANING OVER TO GIVE DIRECTIONS TO SOME OF HIS MEN WHO WERE FIGHTING TOO RAPIDLY, AND IN FACT BECOMING A LITTLE TOO NERVOUS FOR THEIR OWN GOOD, Forsyth WAS AGAIN WOUNDED, THIS TIME IN THE LEFT LEG the ball breaking and badly shattering the bone midway between the knee and ankle about the same time dr movers the surgeon of the party who owing to the hot fire of the indians was unable to render surgical aid to his wounded comrades had seized his trusty rifle and was doing capital service was hit in the temple by a bullet and never spoke but one intelligible word again matters were now becoming desperate and nothing but cool, steady fighting would avail to mend them. The hills surrounding the immediate vicinity of the fight were filled with women and children who were chanting war songs and filling the air with whoops and yells. The medicine men, a sort of high priests, and older warriors rode around the outside of the combatants, being careful to keep out of range, and encouraged their young braves by beating a drum, shouting Indian chants, and using derisive words toward their adversaries whom they cursed roundly for skulking like wolves and dared to come out and fight like men meanwhile the scouts were slowly but surely counting game and more than one indian fell to the rear badly wounded by the rifles of the frontiersmen within an hour after opening of the fight the indians were fairly frothing at the mouth with rage at the unexpected resistance they met while the scouts had now settled down to earnest work, and obeyed to the letter the orders of forthsight, who off reiterated command was, fire slowly, aim well, keep yourselves covered, and above all, don't throw away a single cartridge. Taken all in all, with very few exceptions, the men behaved superbly obedient every word of command, cool, plucky, determined, and fully realizing the character of their foes. They were a match for their enemies thus far at every point. About nine o'clock in the morning, the last horse belonging to the scouts was killed, and one of the redskins was heard to exclaim in tolerably good English, There goes the last damned horse anyhow. A proof that Some of the savages had at some time been intimate with the whites. Shortly after nine o'clock, a portion of the Indians began to form in a ravine just below the foot of the island, and soon about 120 dog soldiers, the banditti of the plains, supported by some 300 or more other mounted men, made their appearance drawn up just beyond rifle shot below the island and headed by the famous chief, Roman Nose, prepared to charge the scouts. Superbly mounted, almost naked, although in full war dress, and painted in the most hideous a manner, with their rifles in their hands, and formed with a front of about sixty men, they awaited the signal of their chief to charge, with apparently the greatest confidence. End of chapter 10, part 1